it's, it's been a little while since uh, I've been up here. Uh, but today we're going to talk about one way that we can satisfy our desires, one thing that we can do, because we all have desires. I mean, I have desires. I am uh, a plant person, so you know, uh, during the week I work for a botanical garden, and I am a gardener, and I, say, I like to say, there's always room for just one more. And then you get that one more, and then there's room for just another one, another one after that. Or I've got a, I love c coffee, and I have a desire, a need that needs to be satisfied by drinking coffee in the morning. I need about two cups of caffeine, of coffee, in order to function. But then the next day, I have to keep coming back. And in the afternoon, I need more, more and more coffee. And, and maybe you're like that. Maybe you have desires that you need to satisfy. Maybe for you, maybe that's shopping. Maybe you like to go on shopping trips because you're just always just browsing. But sometimes you don't buy things, but maybe that there's that one thing that you're looking for. Maybe uh, for you, you have something that you like to collect. And so I am a different type of uh, communicator. You know, Pastor Phil's more of a preacher. I am more of a teacher. And so I like some interaction. Uh, so I'm just curious, uh, out of you, what satisfies you? And you can, you can actually say your answers out loud today, okay? You don't have to just, like, think about this. I'm just curious. Food. Okay, that's a good one. Any particular type of food? Ooh, okay, seafood, shrimp, okay. Uh, anybody else, what satisfies you? What'd you say? Barbecue, okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, barbecue, it doesn't matter what kind of barbecue uh, for me, it just, it's all good, all right? All right, so anybody else besides barbecue and food? Okay, just drives in the country, beautiful countryside. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great one to, to find some satisfaction. And so it doesn't matter if you're a, a follower of Jesus or not. We all have things that we're looking for to satisfy us. And this is something that if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, we all have needs, we all have desires, and we all look for things to satisfy us. So today, we're going to be looking at a, a story of a woman in um, go John's Gospel who had desires, who had a need to be satisfied. And Jesus instructed her and showed her a better way. And it's a way that we can follow, a way that we can uh, add to our own life in order to be satisfied. And so we're going to be today in John chapter 4. So if you brought a Bible or you have your mobile device, go ahead and, and open up to John chapter 4. Uh, because as Pastor Phil said, we're back in the Gospel of John. And so as you're flipping there, let me kind of just kind of recap where we've been. So we were just in John chapter 3, and in John chapter 3, uh, there's this religious man named Nicodemus who is uh, a Pharisee. He's one of like the main religious leaders in the city of Jerusalem, which was the central place for Jewish worship uh, when Jesus lived. And so he came to Jesus at night asking Jesus what he had to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus told him some things, and he didn't quite grasp it. You see, Nicodemus, I imagine, was a pretty practical man. I mean, like us, he, he was probably wondering, because Jesus said, you must be born again. And he's like, how can that happen? I'm an old man. Can I go back into my mother's womb and be born, born again? And Jesus is like, you don't get it. You must be born of water and of the Spirit. And then John, as he continues to tell the story of the life of Jesus, he, he, talks, he tells us a story about John and his disciples, John the Baptist who was the cousin of Jesus who had been sent to prepare the way for the Jewish Messiah. He tells us a story about that, and then we turn the page, and we're in John chapter 4, and we read this. Then when Jesus learned that the Pharisees heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, 
that Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee because he had to travel through Samaria. So we're going to pause right there and just kind of unpack what's happening here. So John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, he was sent to prepare the way for his cousin Jesus, to prepare the way for the Jewish Messiah. And part of that involved speaking out against the power systems of the day, speaking out against the religious leaders in Jerusalem, speaking out against uh, Herod, who was the kind of like the king of, of the day. And so the religious leaders, the power systems, they didn't like John because he kept telling them that what they were doing was wrong. And so John not only was doing this, but his followers were, his disciples were. And that was a big problem because they kept causing trouble for the religious leaders, trying to upset the power system. And so when word got out that Jesus was now baptizing and making more disciples than uh, his cousin John, that was a problem. So it was getting a little tense, a little heated in Jerusalem. So Jesus said, it's time for us to go, for us to leave, to go back north to Galilee, which is the region that he was from. And it says that he had to travel through Samaria. Now, Jews actually didn't have to travel through Samaria to get up north. The uh, ancient historian Josephus records that oftentimes Jews, whenever they travel north, they would avoid Samaria. They wouldn't go through it because the Jews and Samaritans, they didn't get along. They had a mutual hatred for one another. So instead, the, some, the Jewish people would go south and then go all the way around, extend their trip almost three times just to avoid getting the Samaritan rubbing off on them because Jews hate Samaritans. But for whatever reason, Jesus decided that he had to go through Samaria to take the shortest route. And so... Then we read this. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out as he was from his journey, sat down at the well. And it was about noon. So, you know, they've been traveling for a little while. It's getting to the hottest part of the day. And I love that John includes these little details. Because Christians, we believe, and we've always believed, that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, somehow all at the same time. And so John includes little details like this to highlight the humanity of Jesus. That Jesus was tired. He's worn out from his journey. That like us, he got thirsty. Like us, he got hungry and maybe sometimes even a little hangry. Um, like some of you that mentioned barbecue and food uh, for things that satisfy you. And so he sits down he, at this well to rest. And you might be thinking, great, in this little town they've got a Jacob's well. Which is, you know, you might imagine it's kind of like a quick trip or like a, a bell stores, you know, some place that Jesus can just stop and refuel. Um, Jacob's well wasn't actually uh, a little store like that. It was actually a, a physical well, a place that they would stop where they'd draw water out. And so you might think, okay, Jacob, you know, it's just a nice little detail. Well, Jacob was a big deal to these people and also to the Jewish people. You see, Jacob was uh, later renamed by God Israel. And he had 12 sons, which later became the 12 tribes of Israel. So if you've ever heard of the 12 tribes of Israel, that's where that comes from. Jacob's kids, his, his sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was a big deal. And then later, later on, it kind of added to the, the fact this location, which was up on a mountain, Mount Gerizim. Um, when God brought the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt... And as they were entering to the promised land, God instructed the nation to stand on top of Mount Gerizim and another mountain, Mount Ebal, and from Mount Gerizim to shout the blessings of God and from Mount Ebal to shout the curses of God. And they were separated by a big valley. 
And so this mountain was looked on to be a blessed mountain by God. And not only that, but Joseph, back to, or not, not Joseph, back to Jacob, this was the mountain that he laid down on where he had a dream one night. And in that dream, he saw angels ascending and descending from heaven. If you've ever heard of Jacob's ladder, that's where that comes from. So we're making a lot of little connections today. So when Jacob woke from his dream, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. So not only was it a blessed mountain, but it was a mountain that they believed that God was in that place. And so the Samaritans, they decided that they were going to build a temple on top of Mount Gerizim for their own central place of worship because surely the Lord was in that place. But the Jewish people, they didn't like it. Remember, the Jews and the Samaritans hate each other, and we're going to talk about that and why that, that was in just a second. They built a temple, and the Jews destroyed it in 400 B.C., and it's recorded in other sources. It's history. You can look this up. And it's at this place that something happens next. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. And you can imagine the first uh, readers uh, of Scripture hearing this, being familiar with the Samaritans and gasping as they hear that a woman of Samaria came out. And then not only that, but Jesus talked to her. She said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And so while they were instructed, the Jewish people were instructed to uh, shout the blessings of God from Mount Gerizim. They'd forgotten the blessings of God. You see, God chose the, the Jewish people to be his chosen nation, the nation by which he was going to bring the blessings of Eden to the rest of the world. God could have chose any other nation, but God decided to choose Jacob's offspring, the nation of Israel. And because God had chosen them, he instructed them to live in a certain way. He gave them a set of laws and those set of laws would inform how they related to God and the rest of the world. The laws weren't meant for them to earn favor with God, but rather out of their relationship with God because they were already in a relationship. They were already God's chosen people. And so they agreed to do certain things to keep up their end of the deal, but yet they failed to do that. In fact, Scripture says that they, God allowed them to experience the consequences of their decision. And it ultimately led to them being carried off into exile by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. And they would carry these, the, the nations off, the best and the brightest of those nations, off to their kind of capital cities, and then import people from other nations that they had conquered into those lands. And as a way to kind of erase the identity of whatever people that they were trying to conquer and make them Assyrian or to make them Babylonian. And so the, the Jewish people that remained in that region, they married with the people that were imported. And that wasn't as big of a deal, but then they started worshiping the gods of these other nations. And that led uh, to some pretty uh, terrible behavior by these people. And so when the Jews came back, they, re they saw the Samaritans, the people that remained in that region, as kind of half-breeds, as not really Jewish people. And so they wouldn't associate with the Samaritans. Because they had turned aside, the Jews, they, they believed that they were keeping the right way, but the Samaritans, they kind of went after their own way. And so, be, in addition to that, the Samaritans didn't accept the entire Hebrew scriptures. In fact, they only accepted the first five books of uh, what we would now call our Old Testament. And so, it's out of that context, that text, that, that tension, that mutual hatred between Jews and Samaritans, 
that Jesus decides to interact with this woman. He says, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you'd ask him and he would give you living water. Basically, the implication Jesus is saying, look, you don't know the gift of God because you only have part of the the Jewish scriptures. And there is no living water in this area. See, if you, if you knew, you would ask me and I would give you that living water. You see, the, the mountain that we're on, this well that we're, that we're drinking from, it's, it's dead water. It's not living water. See, the, the, the well was more of a cistern than it was a, uh, an actual well. And a cistern is something that normally you put water in to store for later. Well, this was up on a mountain. And so it didn't have a very good aquifer. And if you've ever seen mountains in Israel, uh, they're not very big. They're, they're pretty small mountains compared to uh, like our Appalachian Mountains or the Rocky Mountains here in the United States, they're small mountains. So whenever they dig a well, they're only digging into a small aquifer and accumulating a little bit of water versus a a well that's down in a valley that has more of a, more movement to that water. And so it was considered to be a cistern, dead water. And Jesus says, look, I would give you living water if you just asked for it. Because God is the source of living water Again, if we look through the pages of the, the Jewish scriptures, we see God referred to as living water. And, it's, and we read that when the Jewish people, they went their own way, that it's described as that they had dug their own wells. Just like Jacob did. Jacob had dug his own well and it was not living water. Earlier in, the, in, in chapter 3, when Jesus talked to Nicodemus, he said that you must be born of water, of living water and of my spirit, which is also referred to as living water. So there's all this going on, and the woman, she doesn't understand it. She's thirsty, and if we were in her shoes, we probably wouldn't get it either. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So how do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. You see, by the way that she phrases her question, you aren't greater than our father Jacob. She expects, she expects Jesus to say no. She expects a negative response from Jesus because if this man could somehow give me living water and he didn't even have to dig a well, then surely he is greater than father, our father Jacob because Jacob put a lot of work in to dig this well and it's only resulted in this dead, this stagnant water. And so the story continues. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. Implying that this water doesn't satisfy. That it's only, you're going to have to keep coming back here over and over and over again. It says, but whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up for him to eternal life. And so Jesus moves on. She's like, where do I get this water? And Jesus just kind of moves on. He doesn't answer her question. He's taking her on a journey of discovery, trying to to help her to understand uh, for herself. Again, he says that those who drink from this dead water, they're going to have to keep coming back here. I mean, woman, you keep coming back here day after day after day because this water, it doesn't satisfy you. But I can give you something that will actually satisfy you, that you won't have to keep coming back to over and over and over again. The water that I will give you will become a well of water bubbling up. It literally means jumping up, springing up to him, or from him into eternal 
life. It's never going to run out. It's going to become a stream of living water. The prophet Isaiah had a, had a vision in uh, one of his uh, prophetic accounts uh, of seeing a small trickle come out of the temple in Jerusalem. And as it began to make its way out of Jerusalem and down through Jericho into the Dead Sea, it became a rushing, raging river. And once it hit the dead, salty waters of the Dead Sea, it sprang to life. It brought that entire region to life. It was almost like a picture of Eden, of, of life and of abundance. We see the same image come in John's revelation. Um, when John sees the new Jerusalem, and then in the temple, there's this water, this stream of water that starts flowing out, and it becomes a raging river that brings God's blessing of abundance to the entire new creation. So Jesus is, is taking that all into account and saying, look, I am that source of living water. It's something that I can give you. The worshipers of God can experience this. And so not only were the Jewish people looking for this to happen, but the Samaritans were also expecting this too. Continues on. He says, um, oh wait, let me go back. No, too late. So God's, God's blessing of abundance results in love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are the things that Jesus says, look, I will give you, and these things will just come bubbling up out of you, springing up, watering the world with more love, with more joy, with more peace, more patience. You know, I don't know about you, but I could definitely use to, some more love, to be more loving. I could be filled with more joy. I could use more peace. I could definitely use more patience at times. And imagine for a second if, if we accepted the living water that Jesus offers, that these things would come bubbling up out of us and water the places around us the communities in which we live in, the, the homes in which we live, because Jesus said, if you come to me and drink, it will become a well of water bubbling up, giving life to those around you. And so this woman is inspired. And she says to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water again. And she still doesn't quite understand what Jesus is saying, but she's ready to abandon her lonely trips to the well. You see, typically women would go out to the well during the cooler parts of the day in groups. Uh, but this woman came out by herself in the heat of the day. And we don't know why the text doesn't say. And so it's not up to us to speculate. So Jesus, trying to get her to understand, continues on. He says, go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. You know, and, and this culture, uh, it was believed by the Jewish people that it wasn't worth spending the time, the energy, the effort to teach uh, your wife, to teach women the, the law of God, the Torah, uh, because it's worthless. They couldn't understand it, and sometimes if they would understand it, then that would cause them to go astray, to become perhaps unfaithful. And so he says, let me try a different approach. Go get your husband, and I'll teach him instead. I don't have a husband, she answered. He says, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And so again, Jesus is trying to get her to understand. It takes a different approach. And it's been popular to say that this woman has, was an adulterous woman or that perhaps she was a prostitute. Uh, again, the text doesn't say, so it's not right for us to insert those little details into the text. Um, if this woman was a prostitute, she likely would not have had uh, a husband at all or five husbands. 
In fact, it's very likely that this woman was married and then one husband died and she's married again. Perhaps that husband died because that was a common thing uh, in the ancient Near East that you'd get married and your spouse would die very shortly after. And perhaps she was also then divorced. Women couldn't divorce on their own, but they had to, to be divorced by husband. It was a husband's will to do that. But whatever happened, this woman was experiencing a lot of pain, a lot of shame, a lot of rejection. And so perhaps you can imagine just the, the pain that she's feeling. She's great. Somebody told this man about me. He says, the man that you now have, he's not your husband. Implying that you're not married, but there's somebody else that's taking care of you, that's trying to meet your needs. Because in this, in this culture, it's brutal for women to be out on their own. Again, you can imagine the pain, the shame, the loneliness, but Jesus wasn't there to shame her. Jesus was there to bring her life. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. You know, the, the Samaritans, they were looking for a prophet to come who would be a teacher, not necessarily a deliverer, like the Jews were looking for a deliverer. I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that we should, that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. It's kind of an interesting twist here because it's almost like she's changing the subject. It's like, great, I can see that you're not just an ordinary Jewish rabbi, that perhaps you're a prophet, maybe the prophet that we're looking for, but I'm not sure. So let me ask you a question and see how you respond. Because we say that this is the proper place, the mountain, this well, that this is a proper place for us Samaritans to worship, but the Jews say that we have to be in Jerusalem to worship. Jesus tells her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. It's going to be a moot point soon because I'm going to do something brand new. And so this isn't even up for debate because eventually both Jerusalem and Mount Gerizim will be the wrong places. You see, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. But we worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. And you might be thinking, ouch, Jesus, that's a harsh statement. You worship what you do not know. You guys are ignorant. But it's implied that you guys, you don't have the whole picture. Remember, you only have part of the story, the first five books of the, he the Hebrew Scriptures. But the Jews, we know the whole story. We know that God is going to bring his blessings through the nation of Israel because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. <coughs> because God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Excuse me. Those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Out of the truth of who I am as, as the Messiah, the, the time is coming, excuse me, when, when we worship God, when it will not be tied to a specific place, but it will be tied to the power of God's spirit. Because blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who hunger thirst, like me.
for the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. You see, the worship that the Jews were doing, the worship that the Samaritans were doing, <coughs> was so much bigger, so much more powerful than just keeping a set of laws, than trying to earn God's favor. It's about living out of who Jesus was, about his blessed kingdom, his kingdom that is uh, not of this world, but a kingdom that is coming. That is now here, Jesus said. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who's called the Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Basically saying, look, I know that he is going to reveal truth and that the revealer will be a teacher of truth, but are you he? And Jesus told her, I, the one who am speaking to you, I am he. Thank you. This water doesn't satisfy. (laughs) So Jesus invited this woman, who is considered (coughs) non-religious, to follow him. He invited her into his kingdom. He had just came from Jerusalem. Showing that his message was for the Jews first, but then now he's taking it to the rest of the world, bringing God's blessing of abundance to the rest of creation. Jesus said, I am the one that you're looking for. I am. If you're, a follower, if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you've heard it said that, well, Jesus never actually claimed to be God. You know, Jesus never said that. And so if you look in the pages of Scripture for Jesus to say, I am God, you're not going to find it. But instead, what you're going to find is Jesus saying things like this. Saying, I am. I am he. I am the one that you're looking for. I am Yahweh. Tying back to when God met Moses in the burning bush. And God instructed Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses responds back and says, who should I say sent me? And God says, I am that I am. And so Jesus is making that statement, saying, I am that I am. I am God. And so Jesus has come. He is the one that offers up living water that will become in you a stream, a river bubbling up, jumping up into eternal life. He is the one that will fill us with his spirit, which is his presence that will give us a sense of closeness with our heavenly father. And it's something that lasts from now until eternity. That's never going to end. And and in this moment, Jesus is pushing back against the sacred mountain of the Jews and the sacred mountain of the Samaritans. You see, it's, it's, it's something that is not going to matter anymore because those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. It's not tied to a location, to a place, but out of the power, out of who Jesus is. It's something that will satisfy. Satisfy those desires. Jesus is a well that we're not going to have to keep coming back to, to keep drinking. And you might have a well, and Jesus pushes back against those wells. Maybe for you, maybe you have to keep coming back to a well of outrage. Maybe you just can't stop reading headline news. 
because you, you, maybe you like what it does. You just have to read the next headline. It just fills you with anger and rage. And it affects how you act. affects how you interact with other people. And you end up taking that outrage out on your people closest to you. Maybe it's your kids, your spouse. Maybe it's a roommate. And Jesus says, look, there's always going to be another headline. So come, drink from my well because I will satisfy that desire in you. Maybe for you, maybe you have a well of politics. If we just get the right candidate, if we just vote the right way, if we just get this law passed, then everything's going to be right. But Jesus says, Christians, why are you so worried about the kingdom of this world? Because my kingdom is not of this world. There's always going to be a new political cycle, a new candidate, new issues. So why are we drinking from that well? Because it's a well that leads to death. But I offer you living water, so come, trust in me. Maybe you have a well of science that you put your hope and your trust in science. Think if I can just, you know, if we can just figure out the right things, if we can just get, you know, this issue figured out, then, you know, everything will be right. But newsflash, science is always discovering new things, uncovering new things. And it's a well that will lead us dry. Maybe for you, it's, it's relationships. Maybe you've got a well of relationship. If you can just find the one or find the right friend, then your deepest needs will be met. But that person, that friend, that spouse wasn't meant to meet those deepest needs. Jesus says, I am that one that can meet those needs for you. Maybe for you, maybe you have to always be certain. Maybe you feel like you always have to have the right answers. And Jesus says, no, come to me because there's so much that you don't know. You're never going to have all the right answers. So come to me and find your satisfaction, your desires to always be right. Find that fulfilled in me. Maybe you have the, the, a well of power that you keep coming to and drinking because you think that you always have to be in control of whatever situation that it is. But Jesus says, look, I am the one that's in control. So come, surrender from me, drink from my living water, and it will become in you a well bubbling up to eternal life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness. And so he says to you and he says to this woman, he says to me, are you going to keep coming back to this well, to whatever well that you have that you come to to satisfy your desires, or are you going to drink from my living water? You know, Jesus came to this woman he offered her a relationship, a woman who didn't deserve a relationship with God because of the, the past history of her life, the life of the, the Samaritan people. And he showed a genuine interest in her. He asked her questions. He invited her into his kingdom to know him and to drink his living water. And he offers that to us. He offers that to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, Jesus says, I want you to have my living water water, to experience new life, to have your desires met in me.